Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 28. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian Sr., Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show is out! Order your hardback, paperback, and ebook copies today on Amazon and at BearManorMedia.com. A reminder that I am scheduled to be on Stu's show live on April 22 discussing this book and also I also appeared recently on Phil Hall's online movie show to discuss it as well. Our guest today is a writer of many books including the Encyclopedia Film, The Motion Picture Film Guide, Digging Down Deep Subterranean Homesick Movie Reviews from 1975 to 2017, and Digging Down Deeper Film Writings Found in the Scrap Heap. Here he is, Paul Brenner. On the phone today I have Paul Brenner, who is a film and pop culture historian. So welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Mark, it's good to be here. Good to be anywhere. (laughs) Um, About myself, well, you know, I've written a couple books, which are collections of my movie reviews and video reviews down through the ages. been writing about films for about, I don't know, since the mid-70s. Oh, wow. Okay. And I've lived to tell the tale. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, I made a couple of short films, uh, wrote a couple of scripts that went nowhere, and uh, here I am. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I guess going back to the beginning, you know, it's like you, you uh, told me that you, you were doing it in the during the Ford administration, uh, and you wanted to forget Watergate and disco. Is that kind of how the inspiration was to do <laughs> films and pop culture <laughs> writings, exactly as it were? That. Okay. I was in Chicago when they had the big uh, uh, burning of the, the disco albums rally, so <laughs> I didn't want to take part in that, and so instead I went to see a Marcello Mastroianni movie. Oh, wow. Which one was that? <laughs> a Special Day. Oh. I don't think I've seen that one. Anyway, it's with uh, uh, Sophia Loren. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. makes a good uh, egg omelet in that movie. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Marshall. I guess I'll have to look that one up because I just don't re- recognize the title on that. But I've seen a lot of Sophia films. I've seen a lot of Marcello films. But okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no. When when growing up, did you think about uh, becoming a film writer or, or a reviewer, or did you just go and see everything? I mean, did your parents encourage this? Did they take you to the theater all the time? Well, I was always interested in movies. I remember my father, when I was a kid, he had an old 8mm uh, projector, and he bought a bunch of 8mm you know, uh, five-minute versions of Buster Keaton movies and Laurel and Hardy pictures and, like, a ten-minute version of Safety Last. And uh, so I got interested in, I guess, that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was old enough to save up money from my paper route, I bought my own uh, Super 8 projector, and I started buying these castle films that they used to sell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was like a, a zillion years before video and they used to sell these like uh, 10 minute silent versions of uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and <laughs> Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and uh, I don't know, the Wolfman meets somebody else so I bought all those kind of pictures and and uh, I was a big Jerry Lewis fan when I was a kid so I used to watch the uh, Telephone, and uh, he it, it, in New York there used to be a kids show host named Sonny Fox, and he used to have this yeah. like Wagnerian Sunday kids show that went on for like uh, four hours or something <laughs> called Wonderama, <laughs> and he'd en- he'd encourage kids to have backyard muscular dystrophy carnivals. So I did that, and I would uh, tote out my projector and. Force all the neighborhood kids to watch some silent movie. <laughs> now, I never did the muscular dystrophy carnivals. I do remember those. I grew up on the <laughs> West Coast. Uh, but I remember Super 8 films were kind of very elusive to me because 
it's kind of funny now, like, you, you could stream for free or whatever, but DVDs yeah, are right. 10 or 20 bucks, and it's like, I remember one of those short little black and white Super 8 films, it could be like 100 bucks or something like that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, well, these are actually cheaper than that. They, okay. they had Super 8 movies that you would go to the big camera places, in my case, New York, and you'd be able to buy, I don't know, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari or something, but... These would be in the uh, uh, camera section of uh, department stores, and they'd have the uh, high-end versions, which were like uh, 10 minutes long of these movies, but then they had the, the cheap ones, which were like 50 feet, and I remember I had a, a minute-and-a-half version of Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> so I guess I remember the, the, so the longer versions. <laughs> What are you telling a minute and a half on that, if you remember? Yeah, I know. Just that one scene of Omar Sharif showing up to a minute and a half. Isn't that longer than that? Coming in, coming in through the desert, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the Blackhawk film catalog, and so that's my first oh, yeah. exposure. But I guess those might have been more pricey. I was a kid, so I didn't really go and price things. But if if you say, like, the Castle films are a lot cheaper, maybe they were. I don't know. Well, I think the Black Hawk films were, were, you know, they used to show, if they had like a Lauren Hardy short, that would be like the whole thing, so it would be like 20 minutes. Yeah. But Castle films would be like, you know, a, a 10 minute version of uh, The Mummy, you know, mm-hmm. and most of them would be, consist of Boris Karloff dissolving into dust, you know, there wouldn't be much time for anything but that. <laughs> Somebody should compile all those and just do the, you know, the Super 8 versions of every film, you know, and just make a feature film of just the Super 8 versions or something. That'd be great, especially <laughs> today. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and again, my exposure to it, I always thought they were pricey, and then as videotapes came along, then um, Blackhawk oh, yeah. started closing them out, and you could get, like, old cartoons and shorts and stuff for, like, a buck or two, <laughs> and that's when yeah, I started. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so you, that's what you bought? Or? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I still have those now, so I haven't watched them in a while because, <laughs> you know, I have to pull out the projector and everything, but... Um, right. So <clears throat> when you started doing film reviews, did you just do them for yourself, or did you actually have them published somewhere? Well, I actually started publishing... I, I went to Rutgers University, and I started publishing them in the, the you know... The, Rutgers paper there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first review I ever wrote was for the Orson Welles movie F for Fake. Oh, yes, I see And that. Uh, <laughs> I continued on from there, and, you know, I just kept writing reviews, and, uh, and then I went to graduate school. I wrote over there, and uh, then somehow I got into writing uh, for these, uh, you know, online movie uh, sites that at that point just started like I think I was one of the first critics for it was called Critics Choice which I think was the first AOL uh, movie review site Hmm. and you know so I wrote for a lot of uh, uh, online sites like Media Screen and uh, FilmCritic.com and Film Racket and uh, wrote for encyclopedias and things like that. <laughs> so I've been doing that, but, it, you know, it kind of like uh, uh, undercover, because I had to have a full-time job, so I'd be doing this stuff at night in the shadows and mm-hmm. sending stuff out. So, <laughs> well, Did you have any anything interesting about your standard vocation or, you know, nine-to-five job or anything, or is it just, you know, not too even worth mentioning? Well, I'll mention it. <laughs> I, I, I worked for 35 years at the, the City University of New York at John Jay College. I was the, I, I ran the video production uh, department over there. So that's not a bad gig, yeah. So, yeah, so we made a lot of uh, videos. Um... I got to meet Trump, meet Trump once, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and he, they were shooting an episode of The Apprentice in the gym, and so uh, we had to get all the AV stuff out of there, and he shook my hand, and then when he left, I 
check my pocket to make sure my wallet was still there. <laughs> so you met him kind of later on, you know. I was wondering if you met him in the old real estate days, but I was like, okay. <laughs> no, no. I don't have a place at Trump Tower. <laughs> you didn't get evicted or anything? <laughs> no. I used to have a seat at the Starbucks there, but that's about it. Now, when you're doing all your reviews over the years, uh, when you started out or even later on, did you uh, stick to any particular genre, or did you review anything that came across? You know, the, you uh, know. Usually for the websites, I reviewed, uh, well, half and half. You know, when a film came out, I was like assigned the film. Mm -hmm. But then I reviewed DVDs and uh, laser discs, so I usually... Uh, would suggest, uh, you know, this laser just might be interesting to write about. But the new releases, I, I was usually assigned. Mm -hmm. And were those generally mainstream Hollywood-type pictures or still kind of independent things? Or? Yeah, no, I was mostly the independent guy, ah. uh, foreign film guy. Mm -hmm. I didn't usually review any of the, the big popular releases, which... Uh, in the last 20 years, I kind of consider myself lucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's all Marvel superheroes or Star Wars or something. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I was just looking at the, um, you know, top grossing films of last year. Mm -hmm. All 10 movies, except for Bohemian Rhapsody, are either sequels or, uh, you know, superhero movies. Oh, wow. It's crazy. You got Avengers was the number one film, uh, Black Panther, and uh, everything. And then I was looking ten years early to see if it was different, and it, it, it's really not like a new development because ten years ago it was the same thing, except for a couple of films. Like but, The Dark Knight was on there, and Indiana Jones, and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, we like our sequels. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, hmm. Uh, so, what is, what's your favorite genre? I mean, you do the indie films, but I mean, that can be a very vast, yeah. you know, kind of a field of genres itself. I mean, do you tend to focus on horror, or what do you tend to focus on? Um, well, I really like writing about comedies. Oh, okay. um, So, I usually uh, gravitate back to that. Um, the in independent films, I... I don't know. It, it, it's hit or miss for me. I mean, <laughs> most of the uh, independent films I reviewed for uh, the websites, um, I kind of started hitting the independent films after uh, Pulp Fiction came out, when it actually uh, indicated to the uh, powers that be in the movie studios that actually independent films actually made money. So everything became mostly, you know, copies of uh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, the, the independent films I actually liked were not so much films made here, but uh, films in other countries. Mm. Like, uh, I don't know, uh, there's a Swedish filmmaker named Roy Anderson mm -hmm. who made some great, I don't know... Uh, deadpan apocalyptic comedies like he had a film that came out a couple of years ago called A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence wow. which was it was just uh, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, Jim Jarmusch uh, Stranger Than Paradise Oh because yeah. each scene would be a, a scene and a shot there wouldn't be any cuts and some kind of droll incident would carry the scene forward into the next and uh, uh, who else Karita's a pretty good filmmaker from Japan he has a film out now called Shoplifters which is great hmm. and uh, his previous film was called After the Storm which is really good and uh, who else Guy Madden I love um, and then incredibly Godard Jean-Luc Godard He's almost 90, and he, he's got a new film out called The Image Book. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and his previous film was uh, Farewell to Language, which was shot in 3D. Huh. <laughs> so it's that kind of stuff I like, and then, of course, comedies. Mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for. 
Actually, I like comedies too. Now, on that, uh, on comedies, are you still strictly independent? Because, you know, when I've gone to film festivals or watched a lot of independent, it seems like there's not that many comedies. It seems like they do more dramas or even horror, like I said. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's not too many straight comedies. Like, one indie comedy that I like from years ago, I mean, it's probably 15 years ago now, is this one about selling used cars called Suckers. And oh. you know, but you never seem to get that type of, you know, almost farcical slapstick type of stuff. I mean, it's a little dark comedy too. But you know, in independent, why is that? Is it just too hard to write, or what do you think? Uh, well, yeah, I think com. What's that line that Edmund Gwynn had? He said uh, when when he was on his deathbed, he says, "Dying is easy, comedy is hard." Right. So I, I think, you know, uh, especially if you're doing like a character comedy, uh, a lot of cases that kind of, that type of comedy doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. There's there's no real comedians anymore. Um, uh, I saw Private Life, which was really good at Tamara Jenkins' movie this year with Paul Giamatti and Katherine Hahn, mm -hmm. where they play uh, two 50-ish parents who try to have their first child, which is really good, um, you know, and uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, Woody Allen maybe 30 years ago, <laughs> before he hit, hit the nostalgia trail, uh, yeah, but comedy is, I, I think it's hard to do, and, and I don't think people have a sense of humor anymore either, Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, how could you? <laughs> so... Well, it is true, you know, another genre is like, um, it's kind of funny, I watched a documentary, one of those Netflix ones about the 80s, and uh, I watched the 70s and 60s and 90s as well, but on the 80s one they were talking about, and I remember this at the time, oh, uh, after MASH went away and after, what was the long-running one, uh, Happy Days or whatever went away, uh, that's the end of the situation comedy. I guess that's it. And then, then they said, like, the next year Cosby show came along. And, mm -hmm. you know, then there was cheers and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, whatever they said then, I think, exists now. And, you know, in movies, too, it's like, I guess there are comedies or sitcoms or, you know, comical things. But, like, you know, going into magazines, there's really only Mad Magazine. And, right. you know, in, in movies, you know. You get your mainstream, like, Judd Apatow stuff or something like that, but, um, like, is there anybody out there, like, you know, there used to be comedy teams like the Stooges and, you know, <laughs> Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy and everything. Is there anybody on the independent level that's even attempting doing stuff like that, or is it just, you know, nothing like that anymore? God, not that, not that I can think of. Okay. Because I always think I mean, maybe there's somebody out there <laughs> that I'm missing I mean, something. <laughs> yeah. No. The, the other thing is, I mean, with streaming films and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so so many movies out there in so many different formats that maybe there is somebody out there, but you don't know because there's so much, you know, stuff to see. Right. That's true. I don't know. And it is kind of weird, you know, like, uh, you know, the ones you mentioned, how did you see them? Uh, you know, like, for example, uh, before you answer, is like, uh, I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, and sometimes they do mm -hmm. comedies. And their latest film, which the name escapes me, but it's it's on Netflix, and it's, uh, you know, a bunch of cowboy stories, little uh, short yeah. stories. The and Ballad of... The Ballad of... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's like... You know, I I look, I just looked it up because one day I was like looking around on Wikipedia and I said, I wonder if they have a new film now. And then I said, <laughs> there oh, it is. there it is. You know, because the last one I remember was Hail Caesar. But it's like, yeah. you know, it's like, is it hard for these guys to get these films out? I mean, Coen Brothers are well known guys. They did, you know, they had the Best Picture and they, you know, things like that, yeah. and they can't get a catch a break because they attempt a comedy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it stumps me. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Look, talking about Netflix, though, um, they did the. They produced, I thought, the, 
Orson Welles' film, The Other Side of the Wind. Have right. you seen that? I've not seen it. I've heard about it, but uh, I've heard mixed oh, things. About it. What do you What do you think about it? You know, I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, some people said it's, it's 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 not worth watching. It's <laughs> unwatchable. But you know, it, it didn't seem that way to me. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, the editing, the uh, the story, the. Plays on so many different levels, and you know, I thought it was great. Mm. And uh, you know, if they're emulating what Wells wanted to do in the mid '70s, it's like uh, the editing style is 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 revolutionary even today. Mm. So yeah, I, I check it out. Okay, I was interested in, it and I was totally fascinated about who was in it. You know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. really kind of semi-obscure people like Benny Rubin or something. I can't even think of all the people off the top of my head. Oh, my God. The... Yeah. There's even a, a shot of George Jessel delivering a eulogy to John Houston. <laughs> so is there a cohesive storyline to the, the, the movie, or how does it work? I mean, what's the basic premise of it or plot, if you can reveal that without giving too much away? It's... Uh, doesn't have much of a plot. It's okay. about uh, John Huston plays a famous film director whose art- artistic, uh, you know, uh, talents are uh, abandoning him, and he's uh, throwing it all in and trying to do a film catering, uh, you know, circa, I guess, uh, 1970. He's trying to emulate art movies from that time. Mm-hmm. So he made this. Uh, it makes this uh, uh, pornographic art film, <laughs> and uh, he's trying to get a studio to back it. The studio won't back it, so they have this big party, and most of the film is at this party where all these uh, Hollywood hangers-on are there, and uh, Houston comes there, and he knows that he's, his film is never going to get made, and. Uh, <laughs> That's it. That's mostly just the party, and then uh, the end of the, the film starts off revealing the fact that the John Huston character, you know, uh, crashed his car and he's dead. So <laughs> it, it leads up to that, mm. which is a pretty bleak, you know, especially you know when you uh, consider Orson Welles' own life. You know, it's hard not to equate a character with Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. But in spite of the, the, the bleakness of it, it's really a lively film. Hmm. Well, I'll have to check it out. I mean, I, I have seen F for Fake, which was a very interesting and strange film, in my opinion. But I, yeah. And uh, I don't know, was that the last one released during his lifetime, or did you get one more out? I forgot. I knew it. I think that was it. I, oh, he okay. did like uh, He did a film about the filming of Othello, which didn't really have a major release so I think okay. F, F for Fake was you know his last uh, released film mm. and and actually this film which was made just after F for Fake was shot just after F for Fake has a lot of the F for Fake uh, you know editing style mm. schizophrenic editing style that that film has so I might like it yeah. I mean I didn't dislike F for Fake it's just you know, interesting to me. I can't, yeah, I can't say, you know, it's not a positive or negative. It's like I go, huh, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. but Orson Welles, you know, even on the, the, the famous ones, Ambersons and Citizen Kane, you know, always did like, you know, kind of unique type of head scratching scenes in everything he ever did. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it just maybe have got more, you know, commonplace in the later ones. I don't know. Um, um, my, my favorite part of F for Fake was is at the end because at the beginning of the film he looks in the camera and he tells the audience that what you're going to see for the next hour is going to be totally true. <laughs> right. And then at the end of the movie, there's this uh, you know thing about a woman having an affair with Picasso, mm-hmm. and then at, at the end of that little anecdote, Wells goes, "I remember at the beginning I told you everything." Uh, I was going to tell you the next hour is true. Well, the hour's up 20 minutes ago. <laughs> That's right. I forgot he said that. I've seen it. <laughs> um, now, are you uh, knowledgeable about Wells' 
uh, to the point of knowing his other unreleased stuff. I know he like started different projects and then kind of got stopped. And, and also how this particular film that you were just talking about got completed. Well, there's a lot of uh, unfinished Wells projects. He did like a, a Merchant of Venice and... Uh, he actually, oh, what's the name of it? Uh, he made a, actually shot a film with him, Lawrence Harvey, and Oya Kodar called, I think it was called uh, The Deep End or something like that, mm -hmm. which was actually made uh, based on a script after his death called Dead Calm mm -hmm. with Nicole Kidman and yeah. uh, Sam Neill. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, projects that, you know, are floating around. Well, how, how did this current one uh, get finally completed and finished? Oh, uh, well, there's like a whole book about that. Okay. I think it's called Orson Welles' uh, last film. I think Josh Karp wrote it. Okay, I'll have to look at that. And it's about just how this film, at that point, the film wasn't made, <laughs> but just all the the crazy stuff that went on you know with him trying to shoot it mm -hmm. um, and there, there's also a documentary about the making of the film too that I think is on Netflix okay I'll but um, there's I mean it's just he kept shooting it like whenever he had money for like years afterwards mm. and uh, then they were going to finally finish it and uh it's, of course, it's more detailed than this, but he got funding from the, uh, I believe it was the brother of the Shah of Iran hmm. <laughs> to make the film, but then they had the Iranian Revolution, the Shah was deposed, and his film got, you know, locked up, uh, couldn't get it out of Iran, <laughs> so... Wow. There's that kind of stuff, so I'm gonna have crazy. to read about this, yeah. See, that's the thing, it's like, I, I've... You know, I know the the famous films Orson Welles did, and I've known the latter day stuff he did, which wasn't necessarily impressive all the time. <laughs> but I haven't really followed Welles' career. I know there's lots of books about him and things like that, but it's like when this movie kind of came out, you know, then that sparked my interest, and I go, "Well, how come this took this long to come out?" And you know, I'm sure there's legal reasons and stuff like that. But and are there more coming? You know, does he have other stuff if he had all those other aborted projects? Well, who knows? I mean, maybe if uh, there, this movie sparks interest, maybe people will, uh, you know, look into his other stuff. Hmm. But, yeah, check it out. Okay. And are there any other films like that? The one that comes to mind is uh, the Jerry Lewis one, The, Cl the Day the Clown oh, Cried. Which The Day the Clown Cried. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything other than maybe the little bits that are on YouTube and stuff, or anything like that? No, that's all I've seen, but um, I remember uh, Jerry Lewis was appearing in New York at one point. Um, <laughs> some kind of crazy lecture called Laughter Through Healing, <laughs> which, was, uh, which was at some kind of immense synagogue, and he was taking questions and answers, and somebody in the audience asked, uh, Lewis, uh, are you ever going to release The Day the Clown Cried? And he says, I appreciate your answer, and I really love that the fact that you're interested and uh, you want to know about a film that you've heard about for years, but get the hell out of here. Oh, wow. <laughs> threw the guys out. So when I saw that, I really want to see it now. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard different things that, like, Harry Shearer's seen it or not, but now I'm kind of more suspicious that maybe he hasn't seen it, so who knows. Yeah, that's what I'm suspicious of, too. I don't know if this is true or not, but supposedly Lewis was supposedly walked around with a, a locked uh, case which contained all the, uh, I guess, video footage of the day the clown cried, so he wanted to make sure nobody would steal it, <laughs> which I can't believe either. But supposedly it's it's uh, now belongs to the uh, uh, Library of Congress. He donated a lot of the stuff to the Library of Congress, so maybe <clears throat> someday 
we will see it. Yeah, I think I read on that one or heard about that that he set it up to be opened up. I mean, I guess it'd be eight years from now. Now it's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, hmm. I don't expect much. I just like to see it to see it because I mean. I expected to be on the level of this, the previous release film, Which Way to the Front, which wasn't much. <laughs> oh, man. No. It's got to be better than that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> For one thing, it doesn't have Jan Murray in it. Hey. So. <laughs> well, you don't know. That. You don't know. He made him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I love the idea that the film has B.B. Anderson in it, who is one of Igmar Bergman's, you know, recurring stars. Mm-hmm. And she probably, you know, uh, appeared in it after, uh, through a glass darkly or something. So just the idea that she would appear in that film after uh, doing the Igmar Bergman movie hmm. is stunning in itself. <laughs> Now, what do you think is the reason why he never released it? I mean, it can't just be the funding issue or something like that. It seems like Lewis could have overcome those obstacles. Yeah, well, he well he claimed that he he didn't like the film, and uh, so he didn't want to foist it upon the public. Hmm. So he he claimed that it was a bad film. <laughs> and like you said, he did release Which Way to the Front. So this must be really bad. <laughs> but I, I'll see it. Well, me too. <laughs> but I was I was thinking maybe this is the reason why he tried to commit suicide in '73. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it wasn't the Perkadan. <laughs> the Perkadan, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. See, Lewis, I do know about. Yeah, Wells, not so much. But you know, it's like so. I'm kind of curious about that. Um, let's see. Uh, so you did uh, two film uh, two film books, correct? Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, tell me about these. I mean, it's like I just I don't have them and probably should get them. I mean, this is an interesting revelatory interview because I go, wow, films I've never heard or seen and books I've never seen or read or <laughs> so. So you. Yeah. And I did this on another podcast, too. There was somebody that was talking about the current comic books, and I go, oh, okay, well, I'll learn about the current comic books. I can't really converse, but okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so um, you have Digging Down Deep, Subterranean Homesick Movie Reviews from 75 to 2017, and then another one that's similar title, Digging Down Deep or Film Writings Found in the Scrap Heap. I'm trying to write right. writing. Well, the second book is called Digging Down Deeper. Deeper, yes, I do have deeper. Yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm trying to read my scribbles. I wrote down some things here. <laughs> and, well, the first book is just a collection of all the film reviews that I still have from when I started writing, you know, film reviews. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second book is a collection of the same thing. It is like video reviews I've written <laughs> and also profiles of... Uh, like Jerry Lewis gets two profiles in, in this uh, section, and uh, Norman Mailer, I write about his films. Um, then stuff like uh, the ten most miserable film performances in film history, <laughs> things like that. And uh, you know, so they're both collections of everything I've written that I still have. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on a third book, which is inevitably called Digging Down Deeper, <laughs> Deepest, I should say. Yes, yes. I don't even know the title. Too deep. <laughs> it means Digging Down Deepest, which is going to be a collection of movie quotes. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. And then after that, I'm going to walk into the ocean like James Mason at the end of the stars book. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll ask about them backwards. So in the movie quote one that you're working on, I mean, uh, what what constitutes a good movie quote? What, what you know, is it one that's popular or just ones you personally like? Just uh, I personally like after seeing uh, the film, something that pops in my head, and I go, oh. And uh, a lot of movie quotes became or have become the way of the world, mm-hmm. like. Uh, Chico Marx's quote from Duck Soup, who you gonna believe, me or your own eyes, can be applied to our uh, political environment today. 
So how, how do you write that? How do you write that particular book? Just put the quote like that, and then just write about your opinions. Like, what did you say about that quote? Um, well, right now I'm just compiling the quotes. So I, I think it's probably just going to be the quotes, and um, I'm trying to figure out how to uh, separate them into chapters. So I'm thinking of doing it based on each chapter based on Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's uh, Stages of Death and uh, put the quotes under each each stage. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Good night, everybody. <laughs> so going to the previous book that is already published, uh, the film writings found in the scrap heap. So what, you know, are those, there's not really reviews in there, right? Uh, is that what you're saying? Is more articles about filmmakers and things like that? Well, there's video reviews. Okay, video like, reviews, I, okay. You know, I'd review uh, laser discs or DVDs or what have you, and then also profiles of people. Okay, so on, what like, constitutes a video review? Is it because it came out originally on video, or is it just because that's the way you viewed it? <laughs> just, you know, the stuff that came out, films that came out on video, or, you know, it starts with, of course, laser discs. Mm -hmm. and uh, goes all the, way, all the way through to Blu-rays and just what happened to have been released like uh, and um, it runs the gamut from uh, let's see here you know The Iceman Cometh next to the Jack Park collection <laughs> okay <laughs> it's it's like uh, you know it's, it's, it's like every type of of uh, film or television uh, program that was put out on the video that I reviewed. Okay, so you do cover uh, TV shows too. I mean, I guess Jack Park Collection is that, so, uh, and I do have that collection, so, yeah. It's, um, yeah, I got Sid Caesar, mm -hmm. uh, Sid Caesar uh, DVDs came out what, ten years ago or something? Right. Uh, collection of D.W. Griffith films mm -hmm. that kind of thing and were any uh, these reviews were all published elsewhere or is there any unique material that you added to the book no they were all published on uh, websites I, I had written for Got it. Okay. Uh, or it could have been uh, like a, a lot of stuff came from a book I contributed to called the Encyclopedia of Film mm -hmm. um you know, just uh, just what I have. <laughs> and um, let's see. I think I've seen Encyclopedia Film, and then there's another one called Motion Picture Film Guide. Uh, but again, right. are those uh, focusing more on the independent type films than like? Uh, uh, well, Encyclopedia Film was uh, a James Monaco book, uh -huh. and it was basically you know an encyclopedia film okay. before. David Thompson uh, cornered the market on it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, motion Picture Film Guide it were, uh, is a collection of uh, films that came out, you know, that year. Uh, there's another one called McGill's Survey of Foreign Language Cinema that I wrote for. Mm -hmm. So I write about um, uh, the mystery of Casper Hauser. A Warner Herzog picture and then the White Hell of Pitts Palu mm -hmm. um, Lenny Riefenstahl film directed by G.W. Papps uh, that kind of thing it's it's it's, it's everything mm -hmm. and uh, in doing all this film history or film reviews or things like this uh, have you ever been asked to do any commentaries for any films you mean for videos yeah yeah yeah, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. All right, I was going to ask about those, but I guess... Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. I, I guess probably because these books are fairly recent. and Okay. So, I don't know. I, you know, writing on a, a movie review site, you have no way in hell to figure out how many people are reading what you wrote or right. things like that. Right. Unless they send you a nasty letter or email or... Something like that. I guess I was focusing on the fact that the first book uh, 
dates back to 1975, so I was figuring somewhere along the line they would say, hey, you know, this guy has a knowledge of these type of films, let's have him do a commentary. It seems like everybody does a commentary at some point, so that's why I was curious about that. Yeah, no, they didn't get me yet. All right, get this guy. No, I've, I've done a few commentaries, and, you know, they're actually kind of yeah. fun, especially, you know, if it's a film you like and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the- go ahead. Oh, I say, what did you do commentaries for? I did commentaries uh, I mainly for cartoons. So I've done okay. Casper yeah, like ones, cartoons? Casper ones, and uh, I did Tennessee Tuxedo, Underdog, and then in recent times I've been doing these ones for Kino Lorber, for Greg Ford, um, on all oh, the okay. de- various De Patty Freeling theatrical cartoons. So we started off with The Inspector and Ant and the Aardvark, and then after we went through all the the, you know, other ones, <laughs> and then we got to the Pink mm-hmm. Panther, and so there's supposed to be six volumes, and I think we've done up to volume five right at the moment. Oh, so, man. Yeah. <laughs> I have to check it out. <laughs> so. Greg Ford did an insane commentary on the Blu-ray release of Son of Paleface, Bob Hope movie. Yeah, he talked about that once with me. You know, oh, yeah. We talk on the phone every so often about what we're doing on these things, and yeah, he said he had a lot of fun doing that one, so... Yeah. But, it sounded uh, like he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of his favorite films. He is a fan of Frank Tashlin. Of course, he did Looney Tunes and uh, did commentaries mm-hmm. on the Golden Age of Looney Tunes. So, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah he talks a lot on the uh, Son of Paleface commentary about Frank Tashlin's time as an animator for Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite Hope films. Uh, I don't think yeah, I have his commentary. <laughs> so, you know, going through, since you said you like comedy so much, uh, you know, and this can be from the beginning of film to now, um, what are some of your favorite comedies? Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> I, I like Buster Keaton. I love, uh, you know, Sherlock Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, uh, The Marx Brothers. Practically all of their film, I'd say all of their pre-MGM movies mm-hmm. are great, and uh, you know, Duck Soup and Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, Animal Crackers, uh, uh, Coconuts, even, and mm-hmm. even The Night at the Opera I like. Mm-hmm. But A Night at the Opera is for me sad in a way because you can see how their career is going to go afterwards. Yeah. By watching that film, some of the Marx Brothers I like, I, I like Wheeler and Woolsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Hope, uh, <laughs> Hope and Crosby, Jerry Lewis, Martin and Lewis. Uh, I'm sure there's a ton of people I'm leaving out. Mm-hmm. I even like Eddie Cantor. <laughs> I haven't seen too many of his. I've seen Roma's Scandals. That's probably the most famous one that he did, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, you know, Laurel and Hardy uh, yeah. are great. Uh, Sons of the Desert's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the new Charlie. one, the, the Stan and Ollie film? That came no, out? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Have you? Yes, I saw it. Well, it wasn't the day it came out nationally, but it was the day it came out up here in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, which was last Friday. And, yeah, there's times when you're watching it, and somebody said this before, some reviewer or something said, you know, if you don't think about it, you think you're really watching Laurel and Hardy. I mean, they got it. They nailed it, you know. <laughs> yeah. They got it down, so, you know, they must have studied the films and just knew how to do the little subtle nuances that make Laurel and Hardy special. And of course, makeup helps, but they kind of resemble the guys, too, anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, I have to see that. Well, the, my only quibble, and it was somebody else that said it, too, you know, it was like, Oh, why didn't they do their entire career? And it's like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because it would have been interesting. You know, it's the latter part of their career, which is fine, but you know, it'd be interesting if there's part of the film where it showed how they got teamed up. You know, even mm-hmm. you know, even if it wasn't very remarkable, it would just be something interesting to put in the film. But yeah, all right. Um, maybe they can do a part two and have it as a prequel. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Um, but as far as biopics, yeah, it's one of the better ones. So it's not like a Donald yeah. O'Connor Buster Keaton story. Or <laughs> oh, okay, that's good. I'll definitely see it. <laughs> and like I said, you know, they you know they 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 recreate some scenes from their films, and it's like yeah, it's just like watching the same original film but in color. You know, <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, okay, it's amazing. So I was impressed. So.
have to check it out. <laughs> um, let's see. Are there any kind of more obscure films that, like that you may you know like? I mean, I, I'm probably one of the few. I know. I think Kevin Scott Collier thinks this, who's a writer, also is like I'm one of the few that actually likes Love Happy, even though most people don't. So, <laughs> so are there um, like any Marx Brothers films you like that most people don't, or any of the other you know famous uh, comedy stars films that you might like that most people don't, or conversely that you just love and everybody else loves? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, let's see. Um... Yeah, some parts of Love Happy I like. I mean, especially the well Frank Tashlin uh, scripted sections. You know, with yeah. the, the end with the uh, neon, uh, the sign things that that uh, Harpo was on. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of like Room Service, hmm. which kind of gets short shrift. I, I guess it's stage bound, but I like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I think a Jerry Lewis film that uh, people don't really appreciate uh, is, I guess, his last film that he directed, which is called uh, Cracking Up, or as it's known in Europe, Smorgasbord. Oh, yeah. Hmm? Oh, I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny how I saw that one. I didn't even know it was the same film, um, because I think yeah. originally wasn't it supposed to be called Smorgasbord? And then yeah. it got released here as Cracking Up. And then um, right. I didn't see it in the theater. I don't even know if it came out in the theater. And no, it was a direct video okay. in this country. And I was in a hotel room. I was a teenager with my family. And my dad and everybody else was never a big Jerry Lewis fan. But I said, oh, my God, a Jerry Lewis film I've never seen. <laughs> and I didn't know it was supposed to be the same film. So, you know, it's like, I was like, what is this? You know, and it's not the best film, but there are some funny bits in it. I actually do enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a kind of film that, looks better on YouTube, where you can just watch the different sections, but I, I kind of like it, although um, what, two years ago, the Museum of Modern Art had a Jerry Lewis retrospective. Mm. They showed most of his films, and Cracking Up was one of them, mm. and uh, you know, I, I went to see it because I never saw it on a screen before, and you know, I just loved it, but most of the audience hated it, and when the when the film ended, you know, it didn't just end, and people got up and left. The film ended, and it got dark in the theater, and you hear a, a voice going, Jesus Christ, boy! So, I guess he wasn't a fan. <laughs> well, in a certain way, that's to be expected. I mean, it's like, I mean... I, I've never seen the Jerry Lewis films he did later, later that were made in France. I don't know even know if they came out here. I know of them, but um, you know, the, of the ones he did, you know, hardly working on, you know, uh, King of Comedy and all those, you know, it's kind of like the what I call the greasy sleazy Jerry Lewis of the telethon doing these films <laughs> rather than exactly. you know the the buzz cut nerd or whatever he was prior to that you know <laughs> so it, it is kind of hard to handle you know you know older Jerry doing some of the same old shtick that he did when he was younger in a certain respect but oh yeah I mean in uh, cracking up there's a scene with him and Bill Richman who was a screenwriter yeah I know you remember this scene, but there's a scene where they're little kids crossing the street, uh, and uh, they get stuck in the middle of the street because Jerry Lewis is, keeps dropping his books. He's doing that shtick where you drop a book and the other one falls, right. which was really disturbing because these are guys who are like 60, <laughs> and they're, they have their you know, short pants and little cute little schoolboy get-up, and <laughs> Bill Richmond has gray hair. It's, it's almost horrifying. Now, why do you think that is? I mean, I probably know the obvious answer. It's just, you know, <laughs> but why aren't old people funny? <laughs> 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 I, 
I mean, you see it happen with Bob Hope, you know. It's like there's a real oh, cutoff, man. you know. I, I always think the cutoff, if you want to be generous, is Road to Hong Kong. But really, I, I think of uh, Bo James as like the cutoff. It's like yeah. any film made after the 50s. It's like suddenly it's reading cue card time on the on the special, you know. And, I, you know, is, I have to agree with you. Is there a reason for that? I mean, it's like, you know... <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of any comedians when they got older. If they they retained their humor, you know. Um, I guess Bob Newhart kind of does on TV when he appears and stuff like that. I still laugh even though he's in his 90s almost. But uh, yeah. uh, an older comedian, say Buster Keaton, still uh, okay. kept the ball rolling. <laughs> uh, even in the Beach Party movie. <laughs> Even as Boana Chicky Baby. (laughs) I thought it was Uh, funny, and I'm sure he knows now, and I'm sure he remembers now, but like me being fascinated and learning new things, John Cleese was on an interview, it must be like 20, 30 years ago now, and he was talking about how he was a fan of Buster Keaton, and somebody told him he was in some of those beach party films, and he couldn't believe it. (laughs) He was like, What? (laughs) That's what he did at the end of his career. <laughs> he didn't even know, you know. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I got shocked. The funny thing about Bob Hope, uh, there was a book out about him last year by Richard Zoglin called Hope. Yeah. And um, they're talking about the book goes on about Bob Hope, you know, and this late career, and how come he was so bad on television doing his monologues and they interviewed one of his writers and he said well when we were writing for Bob Hope we weren't writing as if Bob Hope was doing the Bob Hope lines we were writing the jokes as if Dave Thomas was doing Bob Hope (laughs) (laughs) so there you have it But do you think that's that's really it? Uh, the writing uh, you know, about the only one I could. Th- well, even then, I don't know. It's like I'm trying to think. Three Stooges. They even got slower when they got older. I'm trying. Yeah. Anybody, you know, hold on to it when they're older. But you know, a lot of them they just stop making movies. I guess W. C. Fields because he was old. You know. Yeah, he's old. To be. <laughs> you know, by the time talkies came in, you know, so it's like you know. Uh, although his last couple performances were cut from the film, so I don't know if that means mm-hmm. anything. But um, uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You're, you're right. Um, I can't think of somebody who. Uh, I'm sure there must be somebody, but I can't think of them. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess comedy and humor. There's something to do with. It's kind of anti-establishment, and then as you get older, whether you like it or not, you kind of inevitably become establishment <laughs> because there's nothing really well, to, yeah. to fight against anymore. You, you know. <laughs> well, Bob Hope was a prime example of that. He started out making these films, and his his radio shows were like cutting edge uh, political jokes, and uh, you know, and then. He became part of the establishment. He was like uh, playing golf with Nixon, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, giving Nixon advice on on Vietnam or LBJ. So uh, he really was the establishment, right? And, and I guess Jerry Lewis too, with his, you know, I guess I guess the dividing line for him might have been the, the Nutty Professor, although he made a lot of good films after that, but. Yeah. The dichotomy between Kelp and Buddy Love, uh, you know, when it first came out, people were equating Buddy Love as his commentary on Dean Martin, but in actuality, I think <laughs> it was Lewis as a commentary on himself because he yeah. became Buddy Love. Yeah, I was going to say, this is future Lewis. He did drink the serum yeah. or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> hmm, okay. <laughs> Um, somebody else crossed my mind when we were talking here. Oh, Bob Hope again. You know, I I, I also have this theory about Bob Hope is um, he was always kind of jealous of Bing Crosby winning an Oscar, and so it seemed like he tried harder. And then the the last kind of semi serious movie he did was The Seven Little Foys, and then after that, 
wasn't successful and he didn't get an Oscar nod. He just kind of gave up and just kind of said, nah, I'm done. You know, do you think that's kind of reasonable theory about <laughs> Yeah, bring on the cue cards. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. And, you know, when you get to his, his later film career, yeah. I mean, usually you, you, uh, you know, side with the, the comic, but really when you get to boy did I get a wrong number and cancel my reservation he plays a really hateful guy yeah yeah, yeah. very interesting so, yeah because it's, it's like it's, it, I was just going to say it's like Jerry Lewis in Boeing Boeing <laughs> you know he plays such a, a, a nasty uh, you know irritating friend of Tony Curtis that there's a scene where Jerry Lewis gets the shit beat out of him, and you're like siding with the guys who are punching him. <laughs> it's really sad when to- Tony Curtis is the funniest guy in the. F- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know that the Stoma Rivers last movie it probably killed her. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, hmm. Uh, but it is interesting what you said about Buster Keaton because it was his last film um, funniest uh, funny way th- bleh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Yeah, I think believe that was his last film. Okay, I mean that's not the best film in the world, but it has some moments and he seems funny mm-hmm. and, and things like that. But he amazingly he's consistently doing Buster Keaton even yeah. If it's how to stuff a wild bikini, he's he's still doing Buster Keaton, and he's still at the timing. You know, it's like incredible. Yeah, yeah. I always wonder if uh, some of those other ones would have been able to do that. That kind of stopped. Um, uh, like, you know, if Laurel and Hardy got to do some of the, you know the films they were thinking of at the later end instead of doing the European tours that they did. Mm. You know, I don't know, but. Um, but didn't um, wasn't Stan Laurel? Wasn't he? He, he made uh, they Atoll K, and I think he they made it after he had a stroke. Well, I don't think he had a stroke, but yeah, he, he got really emaciated, and uh, yeah. yeah. But they had, then they did the the tours. I mean, they, you know, we're talking to the Stan and Laurel, uh, Stan and Ollie movie. Yeah, that that happened after a Toll K. And okay. in the movie, they were talking about trying to get a script sold for a Robin Hood film, which I don't know. There'd been even then so many Robin Hood adaptations. I don't know if it would have worked, but. It was an interesting idea, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But, um, you know, I guess uh, that's another thing. These guys kind of run out of ideas, you know. It's like, uh, you know, like Abbott and Costello, use them as an example, you know. It's like what saved their career eventually ruined their career, you know. It's like they, <laughs> right. they met Frankenstein, which is a great movie, and then they said, hey, let's start meeting other people. And it's like, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. It was good once, you know, maybe twice, you know, but don't keep meeting people. And it's yeah. like, then they meet the Keystone Cops. It's like, yawn, snore, boring. <laughs> yeah. Captain Kidd. meet Joseph McCarthy. Yes. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was getting down to. And it's like, I always wonder if they had kept going, you know. It's like after Dance With Me, Henry, which... Yeah. Actually, I don't mind that film. I, I, you know, a lot of people diss that film, but you know, it's not a bad little film. It's not their best, but you know, for well, yeah. it's a it's a quiet, quieter, a quieter, gentler uh, Captain yeah. Costello, yeah, as opposed to their frenetic stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, I guess. Uh, <laughs> You know, like Dylan used to say, don't trust anyone over 30. Yeah. Don't trust any comedian over 60. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, yeah, because, I, you know, you could say, oh, that just happened then because there was a generation gap. But I can see it even in more recent comedians that have been around a while, like, say, Eddie Murphy, you know. He used mm-hmm. to be the hottest thing out there. And then later he just made these ones that seemed like he was sleepwalking through. And it's like, is this the same guy? You know? Right. <laughs> And yeah. uh, even Mike Myers, you know, it's like he did like three Austin Powers movies. The third one's a little bit off, but it's still funny. And then he does the Love Guru, and it's like, what was that? Yeah, <laughs> Cat in the Hat. Yeah, and that type of stuff. And it's like, okay, you know, it's like the proverbial jump the shark thing that they talk about. You know, it's like. <laughs> well, I, and also, you know, Richard Pryor too. Uh, uh, another thing that might be the problem, at least. 
in the last 30 or 40 years is that when you know comedians are really cooking and they're coming out with great films and they discover they make a lot of money then somehow the comedians become like uh like uh for for uh kids you know they make yeah. movies for they don't make movies for adults anymore you know yeah. Eddie Murphy makes Dr. Doolittle say or yeah. uh Richard Pryor, Pryor does what uh, Superman 3 or something yeah. like that or the and toy. even went further and had Pryor's places on Saturday morning you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like and, uh, <laughs> And who, who else? You know, like uh, Robin Williams, the same way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's because a lot of these comedians have kids, and they go, "Oh, I should make a film that doesn't <laughs> have every four-letter word in the world, and you know, nudity and everything else." You know, I guess they feel guilty or something. I don't know. I don't know. I think I just keep doing what I was doing and just say, "Hey, when you're old enough, you can watch what I do." <laughs> you know, but yeah. I'm no sta- I'm no comedic comedic actor, so maybe that's why. But. <laughs> But I do know, like in the case of Pryor, he said so in his autobiography. It's like it was hard to resist doing things like Superman 3. And he said, I know these films are crap, but hey, they threw a lot of money at me. I'll do it. You know, it's like. Yeah, so, you know, I guess it works for a while, but then, uh, you know, then the next thing I know, you're using your money like Steve Martin to buy. Uh, Impressionist paintings or something. You know? Right. And Steve Martin's another one. You know, actually, funny, funnily enough, he can be funny now. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. even though he tours with the banjo and the bluegrass stuff, he'll, yeah. he'll do funny comedy shtick between, and he's toured with Martin Short. But, like, mm-hmm. his movies went from being pretty zany and bizarre to just, again, family movies, you know, Parenthood and Cheaper by the Dozen or whatever he did, you know, those type yeah. of things, you know. It's Father like, of well, the Bride. Father of the Bride, that's what I was thinking of, you know. And it's like, you know, why, Steve, why? He used to be funny. <laughs> and then he went, uh, to me, he's sacrilegious one step further, is he, he becomes Bilko, and then he becomes Luzo, and it's like, no, no, quit quit right. ruining <laughs> these iconic ca- comedy actors. What are you going to do next, Groucho? You know, like, you know stop. <laughs> yeah. So. Do we, uh, uh, that- film version of Camp, Camp Runamuck or something yes. like that. You know, and you go, why, why do they do this? And it's got to just be money, but it's like, you think about, after a while, it's like, how much money do these guys need? You know, I don't know, but... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and then... Sometimes uh, some comedic actors befuddle me, like Peter Sellers. You know, he had like, what, 50, 60 movies in his lifetime, and probably about 10 are funny <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. and yet he's revered as a comedic genius which I agree with but it's just mm-hmm. weird that he made so many crummy films you know I, you know, I don't get that but anyway <laughs> but, I think at, at, at one point he thought he was a, 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 a motion picture screen idol and um his well, his career started tanking along with Blake Edwards, and they said, "Hey, let's bring back Inspector Clouseau." So yeah. that's how they did all those uh, later day uh, Pink Panther movies. Yeah, and, and they were both at a low ebb in their careers, and those things, uh, you know, gave them hits and money. Right. It is amazing, though, that you know, because that kind of goes against what we're talking about. You know, sometimes, you know. They were older when they did those, but they still hold up. I mean, maybe Shot in the Dark is still funnier than the latter three, but, you know, I still like, you know, Return, Revenge, and Strikes Again, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... I guess it also helps where you have the same director. Yeah. You know, uh, doing the films, too. But even Blake, even directors, and I was going to say even Blake Edwards, but even directors kind of lose their touch after a while, like... Like, Mel Brooks, I think, is still funny in his 90s, but, you know, he stopped being funny in the movies, you know, probably around Spaceballs. I know some people love Spaceballs, but it's like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I cringed when I saw that when it came out. I was yeah. like, yeah. you know? And also, I was kind of like, where's Harvey Corman? Where's Madeline Kahn? Where's all these <laughs> regular people? You know? But that was me at the time, but... No, I, I think well, Mel Brooks, uh, you know... He he's starting to believe his own publicity about it. 
Zany Mel Brooks, and uh, I, I think it was on. I think it was on the commentary to Young Frankenstein mm-hmm. when Mel Brooks was talking about the genesis of the film and how they were working on it during Blazing Saddles. And uh, Mel Brooks, because I guess Gene Wilder was the creative force behind Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Mel Brooks eventually helped him with the script. And he said, I like to direct it. And Gene Wilder says, you can direct it, only one thing. He goes, what's that? Make sure you're not in the movie. <laughs> and you know I think his best movies are the films he is not in like you know Young Frankenstein and the producers yeah yeah <laughs> interesting yeah I mean in the like the silent movie his character is Mel Fun right <laughs> so you know come on and you could even say Blazing Saddles he is in it but not Mm-hmm. As much as say high anxiety or something like that, where he's yeah. a star, you know, and then suddenly you have to accept Mel as like this romantic screen idol, and it's like okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess he was like in his mid fifties when he did that, right? You know, and you know, Mel Brooks wasn't, you know, he's a stocky short guy. Yeah. You know, he's not really the most yeah. glamorous screen idol, even at that age. He's not like Cary Grant or somebody that would really be a, a matinee right. idol in a Hitchcock film, but okay, alright. I mean, I do like High Anxiety. There's an example of, you know, films that some people hate, you know, and I, I actually like that one, but it's still an odd choice to have him cast himself. He probably should have got a different star, but eh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like that one, too. I like his... Uh Frank Sinatra impersonation singing <laughs> the title's tune mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Howard Morris's line at the end they, where he's uh, Mel Brooks is overco- uh, overcoming his high anxiety going up the uh, the steps like at the end of Vertigo and <laughs> Howard Morris is screaming climb you son of a bitch <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mel says, I'm not afraid of heights. It's parents. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, this has been a very entertaining talk you know, and everything. You got to learn a little bit about you and your various projects. Uh, it's that time where you can plug anything. So how do people get a hold of your books or get a hold of you or if you have a website? Uh, I have no website, but I'm on Facebook. Okay. And the books are called Digging Down Deep, Subterranean Homesick Movie Reviews, and the second one is called Digging Down Deeper, Film Writings Found on the Scrap Heap, and they're on Amazon. Okay. And uh, And that's it. And I'm available for parties. I can do balloon animals and dress in a clown suit. (laughs) And then your third book, The Digging Down Deepest or wherever. (laughs) Digging Digging Down down Deepest, yes. (laughs) Uh, When is that expected to be done? Uh, Probably in about six months it'll be out. Okay. All right, we'll look for it. I'll take a look for that. I'll look for Orson Welles' films. I'll look for all the things you talked about. And I appreciate you talking with me today. Oh, thanks, Mark. It was nice talking to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you again, Paul Brenner, for being my special guest. Episode number 29 will be coming soon. If you'd like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. You can also become a patron of Fun Ideas Productions, and if everyone listening just contributed $1 a month, it would be a tremendous help. Also, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.